This episode is brought to you by Cinekit List. Cinekit List is an online community built to save you money on video production gear, offering exclusive discounts on top brands like Light Panels, Innovative, Quasar Science, Easy Rig, and more. I personally am a member and I have been for a while. I've bought several production items from this group and the pricing and quality are unmatched. They have exclusive deals such as the 50% off Quasar Science Q-Lion LED lamps that are currently running through July 31st. CineKitList negotiates discounts on cameras, cinema lenses, or large equipment orders so you don't have to. Reach out directly to Travis at CineKitList.com to find out how you can save. And, and Kevin, don't forget the Facebook group because there you can become a part of the conversation and take part in the monthly giveaways at Facebook slash groups slash CineKitList. This is Kevin. And this is Josh. And on this episode of the Filmmaker's Guide to the Industry, we talked to Shanice Williamson. She is a art department coordinator. Uh, she started in the industry as a props buyer on The Haunting of Hill House, the Netflix TV show. So uh, Shanice, thanks for coming on the podcast with us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so I am very interested in your background and kind of how you got started into the industry. So could you just kind of start out giving us the rundown of how you broke into the industry, um, what you did before, or you know how you've come to to be where you're at? Yeah, absolutely. I um, was a paralegal for almost 20 years. Um, I uh, went to paralegal school instead of college. My father, um, uh, throughout um, high school and middle school, I talked a lot and I did well in English class. So my father told me I was going to be a lawyer. Um, I instead enrolled in art school and got knocked up the first semester and I met him halfway and decided to be a paralegal. Um, <laughs> so, <Okay>. um, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, I'm like, I, you know, and gave him a grandson. So it was like, you know, we're cool now, but no, um, <laughs> I was a paralegal uh, for, a, for a small amount of, I have issues too. Um, <laughs> um, that's another thing, but I don't know that any of us that <laughs> work in this industry, I don't know that any of us are kind of, <laughs> Yeah. On the normal path. No, no, we're definitely not right in the head. We all, we all have, we all have something. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, so, um, I, it wasn't something that I thought about as, as, as a kid, I'm older, I am 44 now. And it wasn't something I thought about. I was really raised to be very practical. I did write a lot and I wanted to write. I didn't really fully understand that you could make a living writing for like TV or film. So I just didn't pursue it. Um, I acted in school and I thought if anything, I might act. And I just wasn't, you know, um, you know, I, I'm a, I'm, I'm, (laughs) I love to say I'm, I'm a funny looking chick, you know? And so you just, (laughs) you just, those roles are just scarce. So I just did, it wasn't really, you know, something I thought about. So I just, I I thought the closest thing would be to maybe be a lawyer, entertainment lawyer. Um, And so I went to, instead of, um, instead of going to, uh, traditional college. I did go, I did en- enroll in a paralegal certificate um, program in Texas. I was in Texas at the time. I'm originally from Queens, but um, my dad lived in Texas and I was raised between Texas and New York, between him, my mom and my dad. And um, I, I enrolled into this program and did very well in it. I did very well in it. Um, and so I really thought this would be something that I could do. I was uh, 20 uh, when I enrolled. And so uh, I worked for law firms in Texas and law firms in Atlanta, um, probably four or five um, throughout my career. And then I also worked for the federal court. And um, the federal court was by far my favorite job that I've ever had, um, especially working in that field as a youngster. Like for a long time, I've been working since I was 15. For a long time, I was always the youngest one there and um, the youngest worker in the office and uh jumping forward to working at the last firm that I worked for before I quit. I worked there for 11 years. It's a a small firm in Atlanta. We specialized in um, creditors' rights. And so uh, we, the firm, specialized in creditors' rights. And so I was responsible for garnishing wages and um, pursuing uh, debtors on behalf of banks. And uh, the final straw for me was when they want the attorneys wanted me to garnish a retired vet, a vet who was working at Walmart. And I said, I'm not doing it. And mm-hmm. you know, there was a problem. I hid the file. 
Um, <laughs> and once they came back around for audit, you know, they knew what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, by then, that was 2017. By then, I had written a short. I had written a short film. I directed it, and I had written what was going to be my uh, a web series. Um, so I'd already started back into that industry. My kids were older, and I was able to kind of, you know, um, expand. And so I started writing. And the hilarious thing is that I wrote my short film. Now I wrote that. I wasn't working at the firm when I wrote that. But my web series, I wrote quite a few of those episodes while I was at work. I was a pretty damn good paralegal, so I could figure it out. But right. um, yeah, the final straw was when they, they wanted me to garnish um, a retired vet. And, and, and I just, I was like, I can't do this anymore. So Georgia has a program called Georgia Film Academy. Um, I think it started in maybe 2014, 2015. At this time, it was 2017. So I talked to my husband and I said, I really kind of want to pursue this. And he kind of was like, eh, you know, okay. Um, it was, it's a, it was a, the classes were considered like a continuing education type class. So I, for, so from every Monday and Wednesday evening after work from six to nine, I drove an hour from my house and back to attend classes um, for a full semester. So in addition to working and um, working with, you know, helping my kids and everything, I, I, I went ahead and took that class with a bunch of 20 year olds. I was now the old broad. Um, and, and, you know, as opposed to the youngest person there. So um, that was, um, that program was very helpful. We had a lot of hands-on experience. That program is where I realized that I did not necessarily want to be a grip. Um, <laughs> and that I would have to pursue some other stuff because I was just like, this is hard. So, um, so we, so we, t- I took that class and then I, I, um, finished that class. I got an A in it. The, the, the setup was you, you, you have to take the first course and you have to get an A in that course and you have to be recommended by the instructor in order to take the next course, which, which was an internship. So I busted my butt, um, to get an A and to get the recommendation of the instructor. And so the next semester was going to be my internship and Georgia film Academy reached out to, to shows and we, we would just, we would select where we wanted to go and then we would go interview. And so I, um, think it was late May when I finally got my, when I realized I got my A and I was, and I was told that I was selected for an internship. Um, I picked a show that's it's adult swim show called your pretty face is going to hell. And, uh, I, I got notified. Yes. I, I was notified that I got the internship on June. Uh, I can't remember when, but the point is, is that as soon as I found out that I got the internship, I turned in my two week notice, um, with 11 years at that firm. And I think at that point I was like maybe 19, 19 and a half years into law. I have not looked back since. I have not gone back to law. I have thought, oh, that's a lie. Okay, so after my internship, <laughs> I didn't get hired on right away. And so I went, for the first time since I was 15 years old, I went four weeks without working. I lost my shit. Um, I lost, I'm sorry, I'm person. I lost my mind. And I did apply for another firm. And <laughs> I worked there for one week. And, uh, and then I got a call for work. <laughs> and so after that, <laughs> that's after about this, how it after, like, <laughs> after that, I didn't look back. I will say this. Um, it was rigorous at the time that I applied to, to Georgia film Academy. It was rigorous. I literally, <laughs> we had to turn in two, di- two binders, two identical binders of like resume, um, writing samples, uh, uh letters of recommendation, we had to turn, like, I don't know what, what they have to do now, but literally I never thought that I was going to get in the entire way. I, there was three steps to getting in and I never thought I would get, there was a group interview. And then we had, we got to the interview. There's like 30 of us. We get to the interview, the quote unquote interview, and we're thrown into essentially a production meeting. And we had to come up with a, a, a story and, and map out how we were going to produce the story in under an hour with strangers um, that's when I realized I was like, Oh, I'm not going to make it because when wow. you work for lawyers, as long as I did, you tend to, you learn to not like people. So I just was yeah. like, this ain't gonna work. I was like, and I, I texted my husband. I was like, Oh yeah. So I'm going to be home soon. Cause this, and he's like, Oh, don't worry about it. He's a, a super optimist. 
And um, I got through that. And then the final round was was like a rapid fire um, interview with three of the heads of the of um, that program. And um, one of the questions was, you know, like why why you and why now? And I told them, I said, I'm over forty. Like I might die soon. Like so, just do this. Like. And the, the instructor was, I think, I think at the time he's like 38, 39. Like he was, I think I was 41 at the time. And he just busted out laughing. Like he had been, he had been so like rigid the whole time. He just busted out laughing. He was like, that offends me because I'm close to 40. And I was like, you haven't led the life that I've led. Like I said, I worked for attorneys, you know, like I just kind of went silly. And I saw, I ended up getting selected for the program. I didn't want to throw that in there because it's, I don't know if it's easier to get in now, but I, I thought it was going to be a cakewalk and it was not. So um, after the internship, after going back to the law firm and then getting back in, I landed um, The Haunting of Hill House. And that's what really started um, my career. I started in um, accounting and <laughs> yeah, I shifted, did something that I shifted quickly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, and I did something that I am not supposed to do. Um, and that I, I've since learned was very bold and very risky, but you know, that's kind of been my life. Um, I started out working in accounting. The accountant that I was working for was let go. Um, and her first was let go. And so they brought in a new accountant. I was the clerk. And so they kept me. Um, but the new accountant came and she brought her own, her own first and, Account, I don't, uh, accounting departments are very, very um, administrative. You know, they're really admin heavy. And it just felt like I was still at the firm. Um, I didn't feel like I was engaging. I didn't feel like I was fulfilling the reason that I wanted to get into the industry anyway. And the Haunting of Hill House was a huge, huge project. I mean, still probably to this day, it's probably the biggest budget project I've worked on. Ah, Stargirl might top that. But, but. The haunting was it was it was just huge and it was um very very uh hmm it was it was it was a difficult show because just things were just it was just weird um I won't get on to, into all of it one day uh, the stunt coordinator Chuck Borden love him he he came into accounting and I was always so happy I was just so happy to be there I smiled at everybody I greeted everybody. I was always one of the favorites on crew because no one understood why I was so happy. And I remember saying to one of the guys, I was like, wait, y'all are working in film. Like it, why are so many people miserable? And I will never forget the assistant prop master said, you will learn one day. <laughs> and um, <laughs> the stunt coordinator came in. Yeah. Right. He, um, the stunt coordinator came in Chuck Borden and he is such a smiley guy. We have a similar energy. And I was just like, gosh, I'm so busy. This is weird. I don't know how I feel about this. And he knew my story that I was, it was really my first real show. Um, no offense to Adult Swim. Um, and so he said, Shanice, let me take you to set. Let's go to the stage. We, so I was like, okay. And I asked my boss and she was like, get out of here, go. And he took, I get goosebumps even now. He took me to the stage and he, he, toured, he toured me around the set the Haunting of Hill House, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the show or the book or the movie, mm -hmm. um, but there's a huge mansion. And that entire mansion was built on the stage, at the interior. Yes. And he took me on a tour of that. And I literally, as I was walking, just, I, it just it just changed me. Um, and he looked at me and he said, you don't belong in accounting. That you need, you, you need to be, you need to get into some action. And so I was like, I have no construction skills. I have no, you know, I can't be a grip. I, can't. I was like, I don't know what to do. But I have made so many friends in different departments. Everybody was willing to, to help me out. And I went into the twins' room. I went to, I guess it was the twins, uh, the twins' bedroom. And there were toys all over the place. And the, the wallpaper was on there. And the floors were nice. And the bed was, it was just amazing. I had never seen anything like it. And... And so I looked at the toys and they were all toys from my childhood, like, I mean, the 80s. And I was like, oh, wow, who buys these? And Chuck said, oh, it's either the decorator or props. Well, I was good friends with the prop guys. The prop guys were always in trouble with accounting. I mean, just. <laughs> and that's a whole thing. And so um, 
I was friendly with them because I tried to keep them out of trouble. So I came back, I walked back from the stage and I went straight to props. And the prop master on that show was Scott Nifon. And I went to him and I said, I want to work for you. And he looked at me <laughs> and he said, our buyer just quit. Are you serious? And I was like, I want to work for you on this show right now. And he's like, yo, let's do it. <laughs> and <laughs> and so um, the assistant prop master jumped in. He's like, okay, there's politics here. <laughs> like, you know, you work for another department. We have to kind of ease this in. And uh, so we, we, I, I told my boss and I'm thinking they're, they're going to be happy for me because I'm found something I want to do. She was not, she will not hire me again to this day. <laughs> um, and so I, I went and so we had a, we had a hiatus over Christmas. And when we came back in January, I was working for props and, <laughs> um, I got back in January and I worked for props for maybe three weeks before they found a way to fire me. Uh, <laughs> they let me go because I wasn't in the union. Um, and, you know, later on it was kind of, it kind of came out that it was uh, <laughs> suggested by my former boss. So, right. um, <laughs> so I was um, let go and I was crushed. And to join the union out here to join 479 is $1,800. And I've got family. At that point, I was, I still had, a, I was on, I was working on a pay cut. Like, yeah, I was low, way lower wages. I did not know what I was going to do. And, um, and then I got another call to work on a Bobby Brown story. And that, I'll stop there because that takes me on to where I am now. So just in case you had any other questions, the Bobby Brown story shifted me and I'm still working with those people now. Yeah, so there's there's definitely a lot to to digest with with everything you yeah. just gave us. First of all, I a hundred percent can understand why when you walked on to the stage of Haunting of Hill House, why it was just why why you wanted to make a jump. Um, for those yeah. that have not seen the show, um, oh, yeah. you you. You have to first like horror and suspense, um, you know, yeah. mild horror, but a, a lot of suspense. Um, so, you yeah. know, but regardless, if if people should see the should see the show, I'm I'm a big uh, prop uh, proponent of the show. If you don't yeah. like suspense and it's too scary for you, that's fine. Just watch the very last episode. Uh, the mm -hmm. what is it? The mm -hmm. first ten minutes, roughly. Um, there's mm -hmm. a, it's a single take and it shows the entire house in a single take. It is, yes. it is remarkable and it just shows yeah. how massive the set was and how massive the stage yeah. was all. I mean, it goes in and out of bedrooms, follows various characters, walking up staircases, um, won't give anything away really for the show. But if you, yeah. you know, you just want to get an idea of just how monstrous set was just watch yeah. that one take. I mean, the take is, I mean, do you remember six minutes long, five minutes long, a single yeah, take? It was, a uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, yeah. just remarkable. I think I read that there was a, there was one cut that, you know, uh, you know, they, they fake a, they fake a cut, um, obviously, but I mean, outside of that, it's, it, it's crazy how long it goes and how vast yes. everything is. So yeah, definitely understand that why when you, when you bro got brought on set, that was, um, you know, eye popping, uh, to say the least. Yes. Now, do you, you know, yeah, you got fired because you weren't in the union, but just being on the Netflix show in general and just seeing how much was going on, what were some of your immediate takeaways just watching, um, you know, the director, DP, actors, different departments work? I mean, you were, you were on for, you know, long enough to get a, uh, um, a 360 view of everything taking place. What, yeah. what were some of your, yeah. your takeaways? Yeah, and I, I left this part out. I I actually came back. I finished the show. Um, I got into, I got into the union, and my prop master brought me back. So I did finish the show. So oh, I was good. really only I ended up being gone. For, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I got too excited. Oh, I good. ended up only being gone for about six weeks or so. Got in the okay. union and came back. Um. So yes. Um. Okay. Well, I have to tell you. Um. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. Ask me one more time the exact question because I might well, go. Actually, I just, my mind. Honestly, now <laughs> now my question kind of shifts because now realizing that you finished out the show, just how was yeah. it working in art department for oh, gotcha. you know yes. a a you know a, a very sizable 
show. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that's what that's yes. what Haunting of Hill House is. I mean, at the at the yes. time it was uh, shot, I, I want to say it was it was like the top it was a top five show for Netflix, not only in uh, production time, but cost and viewership. Yes. I mean, it was, it was monstrous yes. in all regards. Yeah. The, my unique perspective on that show was that I started in accounting. And so I got to see some things that, um, that I wouldn't be able to talk about. Um, but it was very expensive, <laughs> it was very expensive to make uh, more expensive than anticipated. Uh, and there were some serious, you would not be able to tell, but there were some serious, serious goings on on that, in that show. Um, uh, Mr. Flanagan was extremely approachable the entire time. He was very, very nice, very kind. He hosted quite a bit of crew things for us to do. But there is a, um, there's some politics in um, the film industry that the, um, set people are, you know, they kind of are higher in the the food chain than production office people. And even though I was in props in the art department, as a buyer, I was mostly in the office. Um, When I went to set, it was a treat or it was something, it was a serious, you know, we we were understaffed. Uh, And and prop-wise, we, it, it was, this was a very busy show. I mean, busy, 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 busy. And that last block was crazy. We got new one-liners. The schedule changed every day. The schedule changed every day. And for props, that is deadly. I took this show home with me. I took it, show, I took it home with me on evenings and weekends. Um, can't tell you how many times I ran up on, on the weekend to meet my prop master with something that last minute they decided they needed. I mean, that's just film in general. But this was very tense. This is still the longest show I've ever worked on. And it went longer than it should have. And so people were tense toward at the end of May when we were finishing up, it was just tense. Everybody was so ready to be done. You know, the people from LA were ready to go home, you know, um, and, and it was, it got very, very tense uh, towards the end because it was, I just think we had spent so much time. I mean, I had been on the show since prior to August before a lot of things were weird to me in art department. Like they, (laughs) uh, I had to cut pictures um, for a scene where they were breaking glass. And so I had to cut three sets of pictures for these takes. And I actually like pulled out my scissors and <laughs> the prop master was like, I'm sorry, sweetheart. We don't, we don't use scissors in art. And I was like, how the hell do you cut these things then? And <laughs> he pulled out an exacto knife. And I was like, what the hell did I sign up for? <laughs> like, I cannot, I can't cut straight. I've never been able to cut straight. I failed cutting in kindergarten. And um, it was traumatic, <laughs> just just never being an art person. I mean, I went to that one semester of art school, but I got pregnant, so I didn't have to keep going back. So I just, I just, I just, it was, it was, um, it was a tough change, but it was, I will always be grateful to Scott, the prop master, because he did not care. He was like, you're going to do this and you're going to do well. You know, it's just film. We're not, we're not curing cancer. It's just a show. And, 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 you know, so I, my most fun times on that show working in art department were when I got to go to the prop houses to get things. Um, I got to pick out luggage and I got to pick out bags that they would carry. Um, there's a, there's a, there was a convention. There was a funeral uh, services or something convention. And we shot that downtown Atlanta. And I got to go downtown and, and prep, prep food for that, for the, it was, there was a bar scene and things like that. And I mean, and anytime I got to go to set, it was just really amazing. It was chaotic, but it was really amazing. And just honestly, it, it solidified the fact that I know that I wanted to stay in art department, even though I don't really consider myself an artist like that. Biggest takeaway that I, the biggest takeaway, the biggest thing that I learned was that art department people think very, very, very differently from production people. Hmm. Uh, extremely different and, and it's it could be taken as good or bad i have i'm you know i'm 20 years in to an admin production I'm, I'm 20 years into an admin kind of office personality so it was very hard for me to transition transition into their laid back who cares attitude that's really that i took that that's what i took away from art department they um every department i think is jockeying for significance and um importance and the biggest struggle I had with being a buyer in the art department 
was coming from accounting and knowing how, like accounting and production office, you have to follow rules. There are rules. You have to follow them because we're reporting to the studio. The art department does not give a damn. <laughs> <laughs> the art department does not give a damn about the rules. And I, I'm a paralegal. I was like, ah. <laughs> I know I the rules. not follow rules. You knew the rules. Out. That's the thing. You knew the rules. Yes. 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 That, and I will say that they, 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 they did not know them or I just took it as though that they didn't care. And I was the newest person in there other than the PA, of course. And Scott has been doing this for decades in LA and my prop master. And his thing was always, Hey man, don't, nah, don't worry about this, man. But this is again, even when he hired me, he didn't, he had, he really didn't get, he, he didn't get permission. That's why I was like, go. So it's like, you do have to follow rules. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I really, I really had an internal struggle with, uh, the, um, the, the nonchalant attitude about rules and kind of regulations in the art department. I have since come to understand that, but at, at the time it was, it, that was the toughest thing for me. Yeah, and I think some of that does, that's in other departments too. I know from, you know, gripping and stuff. And uh, I think Kevin can attest <laughs> when he's best boyed for me um, that I think most departments kind of attitude is, well, we've got to do our job and we're going to do it however we need to see fit to do it because otherwise, you know, uh, I don't really know how to even explain it, but it's, it's, it, and it's not so much a, there's, there's no hate for, you know, the production office or anything like that. I just feel that sometimes the onset people feel that they're just a barrier to getting done what they need to get done, especially now, since a lot of, you know, onset is so like, go, 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 go. We got to have this mm -hmm. now. We don't have any time. What's taking on so long. And, you know, that kind of attitude bleeds over into almost every facet of, you know, how they do their job. Um, what, as far as the account accounting side goes, I mean, that's, that's a really interesting part for me just because having, you know, never been in it myself and, you know, having been on the other side and known that I've probably given some accounting problems to someone else along the way, um, you know, w what is the thought inside of the accounting office about on set? And, you know, what, when you talk about, when you talk about rules, um, you know, uh, but what are the, what are those kind of big ones that are kind of like, what is on set missing that seems to be a pain point for the office most of the time? I'm going to be completely honest. I will, I'll say this, having worked on both sides mm -hmm. and having respect for both sides, I am now more on the side opposite accounting. Mm -hmm. And that's huge for me um, because I'm a rule follower. Um, uh, it, you, you, you touched on in the beginning of when you start, when you start speaking. It, uh, very, everyone else outside of production and accounting, they feel like production and accounting impedes their creativity to get things mm -hmm. done. And also I think that it's, that especially grips, especially like I, and I have a, I have a, um, I love grips because grips have got me out of so much shit. I mean, Oh my God, they have saved me so many times <laughs> being new in the art department. Like I'm thinking of one in my head right now, the sweetest kid. And, um, anyway, um, and when I would see him get hassled, I'd jump in. Um, they're just trying to get a job done. And, and the job is to fulfill the director's vision. And sometimes we don't check in with the office for that. We don't need to, we don't want to, we don't have the time to. And the production office does not get that. Uh, mm -hmm. So the things that I heard, um, the things that I heard in accounting and before I changed over to things that I said <laughs> um, were, you know, paperwork is sloppy. And we, I, on the accounting side, my my attitude used to be if you cannot get receipts turned into me in a respectfully you know in a, in, a, in the time frame that we respect that request them and mm -hmm. in in neat then you should not have a p card um 
this that's one of the things Which that, for anyone that out there that doesn't know what a p card is it's a card provided by production for you to make purchases and stuff on so yeah sorry <laughs> or, no, fine. or petty cash you know yep. petty cash is given as well um that was that's one of that's one of the top ones that i would hear in the um next is the the biggest one actually i don't say it as much because this is more of something that the accountant says often is it's not your money Right. People are acting like it's their money and it's not. This money belongs to the production company. And so I th- there's a there's a very, very big divide. Um, and and I can't, the production office is different. I did I was an office PA. My first job, I was an office PA. And um, I think the production office gets dumped on quite a bit because really the right. production office has, has to answer to every department, every single department. And, and then they also have to kind of be, you know, gophers for the producers. So they're in a really, really tough position. And I'll be honest with you, I have not been in any office, a production office where everybody was happy. Right. And the number one reason I think that is, is because a lot of people start out in the office and they're trying to figure out what they want to do next. And they feel dumped on. Nobody, even if you're told 500 times, nobody expect, nobody re- really realizes that when they get into production office, they're going to be getting lunch. That's a huge part of the day. Nobody gets it. Nobody likes it. Everybody bitches about it. And it's hilarious to me because I'm just like, what do you think you're doing in the office? You're not a grip. You're not, you're not our department. What did y'all think you were going to, you know, you're distributing strips and <laughs> scripts and call sheets and you're getting lunch, you know? So, but a lot of disgruntled people work in the office and that makes it harder for the set people, I think. Because right. set people are really go, go, go. They are about this life. For, right. I, listen, BET, Netflix, um, w, you know, Warner Brothers, they are about this life. And I have so much respect for them. They're, the set people are the ones working 13, 14 hours. Office people work 12 hours, but accounting generally works 10. You know, they're out of there. You know right. what I mean? So like that, to me, that's what I brought back. Like when I, when I did go back to accounting, to fill time, that's what I was trying to teach the accountants. I was like, you don't understand what they have to do. And so when I came back after having been um, on the other side, you know, I took that paperwork with the, with the, I took that bad paperwork. I found myself just taking receipts from my grips and my, my gaffers. I just took them, just give them to me. I'll take them up because I know what they're doing. And it's not that they don't respect what we're doing. They don't have the time. And honestly, I never understood the poor best boys. I'm just like, do they realize it? Like, do they know beforehand that they're going to have to do paperwork to poor babies? Like, <laughs> because they, they fix everything. Like, you, if you have a problem, like for me, if I have a problem on set and I'm freaking out and I can't do anything, I'm either looking for a grip or a set dresser. So these babies do not, they are not concerned with your damn receipt. They are they're like, where are we going? What are we fixing? What are we putting up for you? What are we, you know, what are we hanging from rafters, you know? And I think the accounting team doesn't know that. I think also the accountants and production office, I think that there is a, what's the term? Um, they're always really trying to push their importance because hmm. they're, they have the ear of the producers. They have the ear of the UPM. I find in the, in the, the accounting offices that I've worked in, what's made me most uncomfortable is that their, their need to feel important, their need to feel like they're in charge. You know, I'll cut your, I'll cut your money off. I'll cut your funds off. And you, that's, you can't do that because if you tell a grip or if you tell a best boy, we're cutting off your funds because you're not giving us receipts. You have to hear from the director. The producers don't want to hear from the director and the accountant doesn't want to hear from the director. And then the studio doesn't want to know why things are held up. So I just think that that it's an ego thing. I think it's ego. Um, and, and I'm, which is why I'm glad that I've gotten to work on both sides. And really, I didn't even get exposed to how helpful, um, grips are until I became an art department coordinator, because honestly, when my construction guys wouldn't help me, that's where I went, you know, and it's not, it's not their job to help me, but I just, I've just been lucky that I've had some good people to work with. And then of course, working in set deck as a set deck coordinator, I always have my dressers, but before I knew that I could help, they can help me. That's I always went to my guys. I, I'm so happy you mentioned the paperwork for the best boys because there's there's yes. e- there's easily two or three instances between Josh and I because I I would be um, when he was key gripping a lot and he still key grips uh, on occasion and I'll I'll best for him I swear I mean Josh I 
would imagine you're going to agree to with this. There's two or three times where you, you would look at me and be like, no, like I, you know, I'll get ready to go grab a flag. And he's like, no, <laughs> you need to go fill out the damn paperwork. I was like, I don't want to, yeah. I don't want yeah. to. He's like, no, go. <laughs> like, he's like, you know, whatever. He's like, um, Andrew can get that. I can get that. It's just a simple flag. You go finish the paperwork. And I'm like, I don't want to. <laughs> like, and I'm like going yeah. back to the truck, like pouting like a little kid. And I'm just like, damn it. I have to do the paperwork before I can go back and have fun and, and rig. And you know, so, yeah. so I, 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 Hey, I take care of the paperwork real fast and I can get back to work or on really shit days I'd be like oh I'm so sorry I have to go do paperwork for 20 minutes so right. um, you know right. I, I definitely never wait, wait, that didn't go unnoticed yeah 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 uh, it's okay I don't yeah. care that you noticed it I still had to go do by I still had to go do paperwork <laughs> you know oh darn I'll be gone yeah. for 20 minutes um well no I, honestly like the fact that you've shifted over to a coordinator I want to dive into that a little bit I mean from from what yeah. I can gather you um you you kind of shifted over to art um, art department coordinator for American Soul, and then since then yes. it's been Star Girl, which is the new CW show. Um, yes. How how was uh, American Soul? I mean, is that was that in fact your first real opportunity as a um, as the art department coordinator, or was there something before that? Nope, uh, American Soul was my first time being an art department coordinator. Um, as a BET show, um, in between my haunting gig. Um, I was called to work as a set deck PA um, for the Bobby Brown story, which is also a BET show. I was a set deck PA under Natalie Pope. Um, she's best known for, she's the decorator for House, for Constantine, uh, 24. Um, she, I was her PA. Um, and she was, uh, still working with her. Uh, we, I did a lot of things that, uh, I was that I was supposed to be in the union to be doing. Uh, and the production designer noticed that. And that production designer, that's Bruton Jones. He, um, he did, he was our director for Armageddon. He, uh, he's done some other things, but he was, um, the production designer there. And he noticed that I was older and he noticed that, um, I hustled and he noticed that I didn't complain. Um, and he did not, he did not really get along with his coordinator. Um, his art department coordinator on that show. And so before he went back, when we were wrapping the Bobby Brown story, he already knew that he was going to get American Soul. And so on his last day in the office, he came in to the set deck office and he asked me if I would be willing to be his art department coordinator for a new show. And I told him I had never done it before. He told me he would teach me everything. And I said, yeah. Um, so that was American Soul. And uh, so I got American Soul. It was 10 episodes. I had never, ever uh, been an art department coordinator. I was friendly with his former art department coordinator, and she never wanted to work with him again, so she was okay with telling me, giving me pointers. She didn't feel like I was, took her job. Um, and I reached out to the art department coordinator for The Haunting, and so they gave me some pointers on how to do things, and I still, I, I, I just still was not prepared for everything that I had to do. I essentially run the art department um under Bruton the way that Bruton allows his coordinators to work I essentially ran the art department uh I was doing he Bruton taught me things the production designer he taught me things that I found out on my next art coordinating gig that was supposed to be done by the art director I had no idea I I was I was um I made I, I put the budget together I made, I monitored the budget I um created set lists. I distributed things. I went to production meetings. I went to meetings with the showrunner. I met with writers. I, um, I routinely, uh, dealt with, um, construction. I had to give instructions. For, if Bruton didn't want to talk to them, I had to give them instructions on things I had no knowledge of. I still helped out with set deck. Um, you know, because, um, she, they were used to me working for their, her and my, she, my replacement was just, not up to par for her, for that decorator. So she just would bypass her and still come to me, um, the decorator. And, um, I was ordering hardware for like period piece. American soul is, um, a TV show about Don Cornelius and soul train. And so we've been in the seventies. Um, so it's a period show. And so I was ordering hardware. I had, I was doing a lot of research. Um, and I found out 
later on from other coordinators that the, some of those things that crossed the line of what the art director did, I didn't care. I enjoyed learning it. It's still not, uh, it's not something that I'm super comfortable with, um, but I enjoy challenges and the production designer respects me. So he, I feel confident working with him and I, I felt confident enough to go on and work on another show, uh, Greenland. I was a um, art department coordinator there, but um, yeah, I, I, I feel like that was the, that position was the most uh, responsibility I've ever had in this industry was his being his art department coordinator. He leaned on me and it was a lot at the time, but I, I'm very grateful for it because when I went to my next show as an art department coordinator, I was a rock star. I mean, rock star because he gave me so much to do. There's an upside to when, you know, people are like, Oh, you're not supposed to do that. That's not union. There's an upside to doing things. Um, even though you're not union where it won't hurt you. I'll say that where you cannot get hurt, where you can't physically get hurt. Um, and where you're not taking a job from someone else. Um, there's, there's, um, there's, there's a beauty in that. And, and I, it, it was a, it was, it was an education for me. American saw that first season was a, a complete, a total education for me. I mean, it was like, uh, the, the most that I've ever learned on a show. Uh, with the different, um, shows, it- Greenland is an upcoming movie that you've done. Um, I yes. know, I know you can't talk too much about it because it's in post. Um, supposed to come out later yeah. this year. That's perfectly fine. We understand NDAs <laughs> all too well. Yeah. Um, yeah. But just how how was working on a, f- a a feature film different than the different shows, Star Girl, uh, um, 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 American Soul, you know there's got to be some differences on the TV to film aspect. It was a dream. I mean, I heard it. I heard it at the haunting. I heard it at BET. I heard it at star girl. Um, well, yes, I heard a star girl. I heard everybody that was seasoned say film is far superior than, than episodic. Really? I've heard so many people, yes, I've heard so many crew members saying if they had it their way, they would never work on episodic. They would just work on films. I never understood it until I got Greenland. Now, the difference with Greenland is it was also independent. I think, yeah, we didn't have a studio. Wait a minute. What's the MGM? I think, I think, I think Greenland was independent. So, um, that was, that year was independent because I had to get, um, I take care of, I had to take care of all the clearances and I was, I mean, I was legitimately doing legal work on Greenland. Um, but because it was, because there's just one script, no matter how many times they changed it, there's one script <laughs> and Stargirl was 10 scripts. Uh, American Soul was eight and 10 scripts. You know, Bobby Brown's story was three scripts. Uh, yeah. Cause it was three nights. No, two. It was two scripts, you know. So this is the first show that I ever worked on where there was one script and I was elated. Um, that I worked, that production designer was Clay Griffith. Um, amazing, amazing, amazing guy. He is probably best known for Almost Famous and Jerry Maguire. Um, he frequently works with Cameron Crowe and um, he was a joy to work for. He's just a genius very meticulous. Um, and so even though it was a cakewalk for me, I was, I was, you know, I really wanted to impress them. So, you know, I didn't get the full effect of just like kind of zombie walking my way in and kind of just sitting there and getting a paycheck and going home. I didn't, if for a very seasoned art department coordinator, uh, because Clay and his, and his art directors were so organized, it, we lit, it literally could have been a float through show. Like literally, I mean, if I had been seasoned, I would have been bored. I mean, because it was just so organized. And it, I, it was strange for me because I was worried about it being indie that it was going to be problematic. But it wasn't. Um, they, they were, there were issues. And if you talk to other departments, um, they would have a very different take for me. <laughs> um, uh, from, yeah, and it was 100% location. We also... Uh, we had to shoot on, uh, there were, we had to shoot on military bases 
And so there were a lot of legalities in that one. So it, my, my background came in handy. I think, I really think Clay hired me because, because I had been a paralegal. Was there any, when you talk about the military bases and filming with the legalities, I mean, your art department coordinating, what was that, you know, so we'll just keep it in that realm. What were you having to yeah. deal with from an art department standpoint with that? Um, clearances for people to get on the base and stay. Mm-hmm. Um, I um, probably shouldn't say, but there, there were some very surprising results from that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Last minute results from that getting clearance to get on bases. Uh, uh, we had a um, um, a great decorator and a great prop master, so th- those things made it a little more smooth. But um, for the bases, it was just it was a lot of paperwork. It was a lot of organization, and we we were there for they 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 scheduled it. We had a fantastic AD. Um, I think he had just come off of downsizing. But he was just fantastic, and so the schedule was great. From my perspective as an art department coordinator, schedule was fantastic. And because they scheduled these these uh, military-based sets the way they did, we had time as an art department, as a coordinator for me, I had time to get everything ready to, nice. to get out there and be handled. And all I had to focus on was just the paperwork of the legalities, being um, uh, being a liaison between the, the uh, we had military consultant and things like that. And some of that I shouldn't have done, but um, it's when you're an art department coordinator to me, I think, I think it's specifically on film, but I, I kind of had a little bit at BET. If you don't have a very strong producer's assistant, you end up with a lot more legal work and I'll leave it at that. Gotcha. <laughs> you, you speak a lot about clearances uh, for someone that doesn't know what you're talking about. Could oh, you explain yeah. what, clearances are from like a you know art department standpoint and what you're doing for something like that yes okay so clearances uh so every you know um the things that we see on tv um we've we've become quite litigious as a a nation and so the things that you see on tv and film um now if it has a brand attached to it if um if it's artwork if there are video images even tattoos um these have these items have to be cleared by the legal department of a studio um, and or the production company um, to be shown on camera. And so it's the art department coordinator's responsibility to we're supposed to just track these um, mm-hmm. because um, and, and in wardrobe should be doing their own um, production should be doing their own. But on Greenland, I ended up doing almost all of it uh gotcha all of it um because it just is just the way i was new and it was just the way things fell um but it's it's essentially it's just legal work it's literally tracking legal um tracking legal releases so like um uh photos that are in the house or artwork um some not we never had a furniture issue but like um we had to use the red cross um in Greenland. And that was, that took up the majority of my time because Red Cross is very, very serious. They don't give clearance to a lot of people. And mm-hmm. my claim to fame on Greenland, uh, and the reason that the, that, that, that producer would probably hire me again is because I got, I'm, I was able to get that done. Nice. Um, it's just legal. It's a lot of releases. It's, um, you know, agreements to, to show things on, on camera. We, sometimes we had to pay, we would have to pay the artists. Um, and for brands, um, we had to make sure that the production company was okay with showing a brand, but we also had to check with the brand. Mm. So, and, and there are some instances where um, a brand will say, and I guess a lot of them, you can, you can show it um, and potentially for a fee, but it cannot be shown in a derogatory way. Right. So then you have to alter that. My problem as an art department coordinator, handling clearances and tracking them. And again, I was supposed to just track them. Essentially props and set deck should have been giving me things that they were going to use and then coming to me with the releases or with paperwork and agreement. And then I submitted them to our clearance personnel. There's a, they have clearance companies that all they do all day is they strictly research 
brands and, and, and the legalities of what, you know, public domain is. And if you can show this, you know, things like that, they do that for you. And then you, you send a producer and the producer decides that they want to take that risk. I was essentially just supposed to be kind of the middleman between that, but it just didn't work out that way. I ended up doing most of it. Setnick really did a good job handling theirs. I will say that props is a little problematic um, because when you have old school department heads that, that remember how it was in the nineties when they didn't have to check clearances, they fight you. And as an art department coordinator, I have access to dailies and dailies are, um, the uh, video and clips of what was shot that day. So mm-hmm. I would essentially see it the next day and I would be riding high. I'd be having, I'd be having a great Wednesday and I'm watching these freaking clips. And then there's, there's a Lay's, there's a bag of Lay's chip that I, nobody ever told me about. <laughs> On a Friday just, at five yeah, o'clock. <laughs> you literally freak out and you go into yeah. a damn tantrum and your PAs yeah. look at you like you're crazy. You yeah. know, um, and this position this 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 particular task is uh, is is um is most complimentary of my skill set right. of, of formally being a paralegal because sure. I know the, the producer says it's like oh my god I, re- I would never forget she's like Shanice can you read this I can't I don't it hurts my head to read it and I'm like yeah I mean I've been reading legal documents and and, and drafting them for years it's nothing for me you know it's, it's so so it's, it's it's a very helpful tool to have and. The unfortunate thing is that art department coordinators and buyers and people like that who are artists hate clearances. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a death star, you know, because it's legal. It's completely outside of the way that they think and the way that they want to think. And it's a nuisance. And if you have somebody like me that can do it, you know, um, with no problem, I mean, it gets tedious. Um, then you're fighting with people, then what happens with some with some of the department heads, like some of the decorators, some of the prop masters, they specifically their entire life. This is the way I think I thought of it. They 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 base their entire life of that movie trying to trying to do things to make me jump off a bridge. <laughs> I think I really think that they go home and they're like, mm, "She got me today. What can I? You know what? I'm gonna take a Coca Cola shirt and I'm gonna shred it." And stomp, but like I mean, literally, I'm like, this is what you're doing at home. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So I don't know. If, did I explain it good enough? Fancy? Yes. Yeah. No, no. That was that was perfect. <laughs> that was perfect. Um, I would like to I would like to end on a little bit more of a serious note. You know, obviously there is we could spend a whole episode talking on this, but there's a lot going on in our country right now, and yeah. film has consistently been very well known for a lack of diversity, not just in skin color, but in, you know, chances for females to even, you know, even ability to be in the industry. You are uniquely both. And my question is, what can the industry be doing better to meet those, you know, to, to just hire more diversity across the board, you know, what could we be doing better? And you have a unique perspective on it that obviously I don't have. And I'd really just like to hear from you on, you know, your experiences and, you know, what can we all be doing to help and what can the industry be doing to, to make itself better? Um, I, I'm, 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 I have mixed, I have mixed thoughts on that. Um, I, being raised between Queens and Texas, uh, I, uh, um, just my friends and who I was around and, and, and I guess the time frame that I came up in, I'm, I'm very, I'm very much have, have operated on the bootstrap mentality. You mm-hmm. know, when I want something, I'm going to go get it. And I, for years and years and years and years, I did not fully understand my skin color as being a barrier. I'm very bold. Um, But I'm also at a little bit of an advantage, even though like I personally don't think that I'm just this gorgeous person. I think, I think that being a little lighter skin has helped me Mm. Uh, being a little more well-spoken has has helped me. I want to make sure I acknowledge those things because maybe that's why 
Um, I've got two sons. One is darker, one is lighter. They have very different experiences when they're out. Um, and that, that's an issue even within the Black community. But um, I have been fortunate enough to have worked for a female showrunner. Uh, and she told me at the end of the show, I came up to compliment her and give her a hug, Black woman. And she looked at me and she said, Shanice, this was hard. They made it so hard for me. And they were men. Mm. Um, so as an art department coordinator, it's tough because I very often at times, I feel like I'm just a babysitter. Seriously. Mm. Um, and, and, and I think that's, a, that, that's the biggest blow to me is because I feel like I think if I were a male art department coordinator, I would not be asked to do some of the things that I'm asked to do. Um, get a specific lunch. Oh, I want this. And just the, 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 the tantrums and things like that, I think that I would be handled differently. Um, so I'm just, like I said, I come from a unique perspective, but all of that aside, um, diversity and inclusion, I think that a lot of people do not realize what they're getting into when they enter film, when they get into this industry. I certainly did not. Um, and I think that just maybe some outreach programs of bringing more interns in of color Mm. to see if it's even something that they want to do. Um, that, you know, that, that's the only thing that I can think of is outreach because the thing is, is like you start opening a door and just bringing people in. You don't even know if they want to be there. Right. And there's a certain worth work ethic. There's a certain mentality. There's a certain mental toughness that you need, um, to work in this industry. And, uh, I think that, um, that's something that needs to be tried out first. So I'm just say, you know, internship opportunities. Um, and, uh, because a lot of us start with free work. A lot of us start in the industry as free work anyway. So just opening up channels, you know, um, I, my dream is to be a TV writer. And so on Twitter, uh, lately they've been boosting black writers and I've mm-hmm. just been sending stuff out saying, you know, just left and right. And that's, that's great because I'm not, and I might not get chosen, but there are black voices being read now. So like, right. if there's just something open, if there's an, if there's outreach open, I, I think that there's a deeper level, there's a deeper level than just diversity and inclusion in film. What I, what I would like to share is I invite um, non-Blacks, I invite them to talk to Black people. Mm. Have, like seriously, just have open conversation and be open even with their backgrounds and just get to know a, a, a group, you know, a, 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 and a, a, just a group of different black people. We're just diverse groups because we're so different. We, there, right. we, we, you know, um, so, you know, there's some that are into film, there's some that aren't, you know, and, and just, I think just even getting to know them and being, because then if as film people, we end up hiring who we like, right? We right. end up hiring our friends, people right. that we can be around for one time. I just say maybe film industry folk, maybe open themselves up to meeting in, in trying to befriend black people that, right. you know, um, because you still want to see who you can work with. You know, I, I think that, uh, like from the Hollywood level, um, all I would say is, you know, maybe, um, you know, maybe, like I said, open up some more internship opportunities and just, you know, um, and, 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 post notices for jobs where, you know, black people will see them. I mean, like, uh, that's, that sounds crazy. Um, just in certain channels, there are certain, you know, maybe on Twitter or just certain, in, in certain different groups, like there, there's all these Facebook groups on, you know, these, these right. film groups on Facebook, you know, maybe target. Like, there's a little a, bit right more now. time trying to get the word out there to different areas than just posting it yes. on Glassdoor yes. or Indeed or, you yeah, know, a single channel. channel. Yeah. You, go, right. you know, branch out to multiple avenues and see yeah. how many more people yeah. apply. Maybe even do something at a community level, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think, oh, and you know, really um, getting them in school, mm. maybe visiting some inner city schools and, and grabbing them. Because honestly, if I had been grabbed and I went to decent schools when I was in Texas, if I would have been grabbed and somebody from film would have come to me and, and told me about what I, the jobs that I could have had in the film industry, I probably would have gone sooner. But I, I went to a very mixed school. 
it was being, it was predominantly white and Mexican. So it wasn't a thing of, you know, it wasn't a race thing. It was just, they just, you know, it was, it was the late eighties and, you know, um, they weren't coming. So maybe that's probably a better approach is to go to some inner city schools, go to some schools in, you know, the black neighborhoods and, um, you know, community centers. That's what I should have said instead of like posting on black sites, but like, you know, going to community centers, going to, um, uh, just, just local like schools and things like that and posting up a, uh, a media program or a media day or take a kid to, to work day. I know sometimes with set that can get dangerous. Um, just introducing it. But I think on a larger scale, um, based on how I was raised and how I'm raising my, my kids, I really honestly just, if you don't have black friends, you know, if you haven't spoken to one, find, you know, maybe find one that you can speak to, to, because I think that I think that we're in this problem because of fear. I don't. Mm. I, I I lose a lot of black points, black card points when I say stuff like this. But I don't think that it's just. Hmm. We just. I think that there's a there's a lack of understanding, and um, and I think that if we recognize that we are really so much more similar than we're separate. I mean we're. Right. You know, um, there's just, there's just, it's just, it's just open, have a conversation, just communicate with a black person. You just don't know what they're going through. Um, and we might not know what white people are going through. Again, I had a unique upbringing. I saw a lot of things that I, my sons haven't seen, you know, um, a lot of middle-class and lower middle-class white students that I went to school with that had the same struggles that I did. And nobody knows because, we're, we, as a society, we immediately look to the big problem and the big, you know, the big issue. And there's, there is a, there's, there is disparity. There is a big issue with racism, but I think, um, we just really want to be heard and understood. Um, but I think that a lot of this comes from the fact that there are white people who feel like, wait a minute, I had to pull, I had to pull myself up too, you know? So, why, why, why are they getting special treatment? There is a section, there's a group of white people that feel that. And right. I think that those are the people that I would love. I would love for those people to have conversations with black people, you know, and, and just, and just, you know, um, men with women, you know, men having just open conversations with women where they're not hitting on them or making them feel uncomfortable. Right. Um, and you know, um, LGBT, you know, if you don't have any, and just, I think that this, it starts, people always say again, you hire people that you want to work with. And so just get to know some, you know, and right. then maybe, like I said, outreach. Yeah. We have to be willing to get out of our comfort zone and on both sides. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, and I would say that, you know, the sets that I've been on where the crew has been more diverse have been better sets. Um, yeah. but I appreciate you sharing all that. Um, I definitely, think that just us as uh, one community can do that. I, th- I feel like I agree. We're just not communicating with each other enough as, as, as citizens, you know, we're not. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of that is on, you know, the white community right now, you know, we've, yeah. we've yeah. kind of held back far too long to communicate with you guys. And, you know, I do feel like we're, we're very similar any race. I think we, at the end of the day, the other countries I've been to, you know, we all want the same thing. We all want to have a family. We all want our family to be safe. We want to be able to earn our living and, you know, have a good life. And I don't think anyone is asking for more than that. There's um, a lot more similarities than there are differences. Right. And once you Absolutely. can kind of realize that, um, things are, things tend to be a lot better. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Well, Shanice, thank you so much for coming on and spending an afternoon with us. It was an awesome conversation and I appreciate you being frank with us and, and sharing stuff. Um, it's definitely, you know, something that we're going to try to do with the podcast is open up more to the community and, um, you know, try to get more people of all races, all, all ethnicities and, you know, kind of, you know, all sexes on board. We really want to, you know, that was kind of, uh, a drive for us with me and Kevin too, is that we need to be more inclusive ourselves. Yeah. And, um, yeah. it was, so we really appreciate you coming on the day to talk with us.
Thank you so much for having me. I hope I didn't talk. To you guys <laughs> I, honestly, no, you're good. It's perfect. I love. I love your. Yeah, I love your stories. I mean, and just yeah. how, oh, how you how you started, um, not even remotely in the film industry, and <laughs> you're you're now a coordinator on some of the biggest TV shows, um, and yep. and you know just did just did a, a major uh, film that comes out later this year just shows just how skilled you are. Um, and I'm, I'm going to definitely be keeping an eye on um, seeing your name on, on other uh, TV shows and films uh, throughout the next uh, you know few years. Yeah. Thank you so much. This has been really great. And um, these are great questions. Like these, these really got me thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we, we, we try, we try a little bit, but mostly, you know, we, uh, we, we do just try to, you know, we try to be flexible and ready for when, for when we're on a conversation with someone, just see where it goes. But, uh, you were great to talk with. We appreciate your time and, uh, look forward to everything that you're going to accomplish. Thank you again. Yes. Thank you so much, guys. Yep. Thank you guys. Have a great one. You Stay too. safe. You too. All right, you too. Bye-bye. Kevin, it's the end of the podcast. Josh. That means that everybody needs to stop what they're doing, write us a review, and subscribe for future episodes. Yeah, I mean, it would really help us out a lot. It helps us kind of get to the, you know, new and noteworthy section, top of the charts, help us get new people, new interesting and lovely film people on this podcast. Along with that, you can follow us on Instagram at FGI Podcast, and you can also check out more episodes and more information, more bios and information for all of our speakers at fgipodcast.com. This podcast was also recorded live in front of a studio audience, and we flew everyone out on Delta Airlines. No, but um, it was recorded live at Two Stories Media Studios, and it's presented by Greenland Entertainment and Two Stories Media.